G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where we're wrapping up the month of May. Dave, the year is almost half over. I can't believe this. Uh, neither can I. It's just going and going and going. The year with no Who is just flying by. I know. And we've got still so much to talk about, which is really, really exciting, I think. Yes, I'm looking forward to this topic. Look, I usually look forward to the topics, which I guess is because we set them ourselves and set topics <laughs> we want to talk about. But no, I, I do think this was going to be an interesting one, and I'm looking forward to hearing some listener feedback on it. Yes, uh, for those of you who missed the last episode and haven't looked down at your podcast player at the moment, it's uh, special effects and practical effects and things we would change in past Doctor Who episodes. That's right, Rob. We all watch Doctor Who not because of the effects, and often we excuse and understand poor effects, particularly in the classic series, but we're asking the question, are there some stories where if you could change the special effects and elevate them to modern, cutting-edge standard, would that bring up the story in fan estimation and in your opinion yeah i think uh as always we haven't discussed this i think we might have some interesting ones up our sleeves i know i do <laughs> well yes and no we haven't discussed them we, we we told each other what seasons our picks were from so we could put them into a nice chronological order but we don't know each other's stories Anyway, we'll get to that in the moment. Before that, we've got news, mini topics. And before all of that, I'd just like to say thank you to two listeners. Uh, Dave, at the end of last show, I sort of just threw it out there without notice. Hey, iTunes reviews, could we get some? It's something we never really talk about on the show, but they do help us a lot. And we got two in the past month, Dave. Oh, fantastic. Who are they from? They are from uh, Field 357 in the US. Uh, and the comment is, just found this wonderful Doctor Who podcast. Fantastic. So they must be an Eccleston fan, I imagine. <laughs> good, good, good choice if they are. <laughs> and also from Ian Key, who we know uh, over in the UK. He says, despite being on the other side of the world and coming at the show from a slightly different angle, this podcast is always interesting and the discussion's generally always interesting. Well worth a listen. Well, that's very flattering. Thank you very much to Field357 and to Ian Key. Yeah, thank you very much. And if you are sitting out there thinking, gosh, I'd like to be read out at the start of the show like these people, please leave us a review on iTunes and we'll do just that. Yes, please do. Alrighty. Let's rip into some news, Dave. Uh, I want to kick off because I've got something for our local Aussie type people out there. Well, I guess it applies to the UK folk as well. And that's that there is apparently an audio issue with the Blu-ray of the uh, Leisure Hive, the Leisure Hive disc in the season 18 set. Okay, so when I hear about errors with the Blu-ray set, my first question is, are they errors that are perceptible to the human senses? <laughs> because occasionally you hear about these errors and you, you sort of go, I wouldn't have noticed that without being told. Yeah, well, certainly on the uh, the first Tom Baker box set, I think one of the errors, was it on Genesis of the Daleks, was like a name was misspelt in the credits. I actually don't know why they're redoing the credits. Do you know why they do that, Dave? They must reprogram the credits somehow? I think it's to do with the way that they treat the footage and that they have to retreat the original and then put the titles over the top. I'm not sure that right. somebody out there is probably screaming at their, their player going, you have no idea what you're talking about, but I think that's why it is, because of the way the master tapes are, are work. Gotcha. Well, look, I've got to say, I still haven't even cracked open my season 18 set, despite what I said last month on the show. Uh, so I have no idea what the audio issue is. There is one, apparently, though. I've written to consumercare at roadshow.com.au. If you're in Australia, that's who you should be writing to, consumercare at roadshow.com.au. And they wrote back to me and said, yeah, yeah, we just heard about this. Uh, give us your address and we'll send you a replacement disc when we get them. I said, do you need a proof of purchase? They said, nah, it doesn't matter. 
So they're, they're pretty chill about it, but it is apparently a real thing, and there are replacement discs coming for the Aussies. In the UK, I guess they go to the BBC or someone like that. Uh, I, I don't know, but well, fair enough. I didn't even know that was a problem. Yeah, do some searching around if you're in the UK, because uh, you'll need a replacement disc if you want to be, uh, well, if you want the up-to-date uh, Leisure Hive. Oh, thank you for letting me know that, Rob. As I say, I, I, I didn't know. Doctor Who show, public service announcement. <laughs> so, Rob, we have got a double anniversary coming up very shortly, and that is the centenary of John Pertwee's birth mm-hmm. and the 50th anniversary of him being cast and starting to record Doctor Who. That's right, because he would have been doing that in uh, 69, wouldn't he, Dave? Yeah, cast in 69, and Spearhead from Space was definitely filmed in 1969, and some of the others as well, because it was broadcast in January of 1970. So, look, 100 years of uh, John Pertwee, which, you know, he, he's an amazing character. He was my favourite Doctor growing up as a child, mm. partly because of the character, partly because we just saw so much of him here in Australia. But he is one of the Doctors where you go back and look at his previous work and even his subsequent work. There is so much there. He's such a delightful person. He really is a raconteur. That's a cliche, but it is so true. He's a raconteur. And it's just sort of amazing to think that he would have been 100 if he was around. But also the fact that the Perwy era is coming up to its 50th anniversary. Yeah, that just blows my mind because when I came into fandom, it was like, you know, something from 15 years previous. Yeah. <laughs> And now it's like 50 years. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, it means that we know we've shot through 50 years of, of Hartnell and 50 years of Trout. And we're now into 50 years in January. We'll be at 50 years of Colour Doctor Who. So that's that's pretty impressive. But, yeah, a bit of a double anniversary. So uh, maybe we'll have a bit of a look at Pertwee later on this year. Oh, I think we should. And, you know, a lot of people have been tweeting really fun pictures of Pertwee because... You know, he liked to get around on motorbikes with his shirt off and, you know, with big gold medallions and the hair blowing. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy is so cool. You know, I just yeah. think he's fabulous. Yeah, and, and a really friendly, welcoming guy by all accounts. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I made sure to retweet uh, Sean Pertwee's tweet, uh, which had a lot of pictures and, and stuff to say about his dad. You know, he was just reeling off all the things he was, you know, how he'd fought in the war and he'd been Doctor Who and he was mm. he was a raconteur and he was a water rat because he was one of those uh, actors. That's what they call the, the actors who act near the Thames, isn't it? In some of those theatres, they're, they're water rats, I think. Right, right. Yeah, and so on and so forth. And, oh, what a, what a great guy. What a guy. Dave, moving along. Uh, Doctor Who, of course, is filming at the moment. And we learned the day before some location shots popped out, we learned that the Jadoon are back. And we got like a picture of Jodie Whittaker in the Jadoon. And I guess it was because they were going to be seen on location. So it's no surprise that they're going to be in the new series. And it got me thinking two things. First of all, wow, Chibnall's bringing back some old monsters, albeit new Who old monsters. And a second thing I wanted to ask... Well, no, I'll I'll just leave it at that for the moment. What do you think of the Jadoon coming back, Dave? I think it's more interesting for what it says about the season than the Jadoon themselves. I think the Jadoon were very popular with the kids who saw them when they first went out in season three. Mm -hmm. And they've had a bit of a place in the series. Um, I, I have no issue with the Jadoon. They didn't sort of capture me, but... I'd have no problems with them. They were a a, a good example of, I think, the more modern design of the monster. There was slightly less of that man-in-rubber-suit feel to them. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, as you say, it's interesting that Chibnall, having established himself and done a season 
very much of his own and with his own ideas, he's now going back and saying, right, let's put in a previous monster from another era. So I think that that is a logical place to go in the second season. Mm. Or, well, I should say the second Jodie Whittaker, Chris Chibnall season. And yeah, clearly he's going down that path. Yeah, I think that's a very astute comment because of all the monsters, even just from New Who, that he could bring back, the, the Jadoon certainly play to that more kid-friendly sort of audience they're, they're they're one of the more childish ones like oh look it's a giant rhinoceros in a suit you know yeah, and, and not childish in a pejorative way just very child-friendly ones that capture a child's imagination and that you can you know you could pretend to be a jadoon in the playground yeah absolutely so it, it seems i'm going to draw a really long bow and assume that chibnall is still making this second jody whittaker series really pitching in at the kids you know a bit lower than where moffat was pitching his who and, and indeed where russell t davis was pitching his who even though he invented the jadoon yeah look that's reasonable speculation but as you say it's it's a long bow you're drawing with not a lot of data but no it's a good theory oh it's what we do as fans dave <laughs> now but before we move on though to your uh, next news piece a question without notice because we're right. talking here about uh series 12 are you thinking about series 12 much does it come up in your thoughts at all day to day no mm, me either um, look, not, uh, you said much, and the answer's no to much. If you said never, the answer would be no to that as well. It comes up from time to time, and I do wonder occasionally which direction the show will go in, and whether, you know, whenever somebody mentions Jodie Whittaker in conversation, mm. I do wonder, okay, where's she going to go in the second series? And, and that hope that I have that my view of her will go from being, you know, a positive indifference to an enthusiastic view. Mm. But... Uh, I'm certainly not out there, you know, looking every morning for spoilers or for news or anything. I just sort of take it as it comes by me. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not thinking about it too much either, which is kind of good because it means I'm not, you know, overly anxious about the series and stuff. And I was thinking, you know, if a lot of fans are in the same boat, this could bode well for it. Because I think when fans do anticipate something too much, they get extra disappointed. Whereas if people aren't thinking about it, like I'm not particularly thinking about it, it could be more surprising. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. And, and there was always going to be that sense with both the first female Doctor and also the first new showrunner in some time, and only the third of the new series, both starting at the same time. There was always going to be a heightened sense of anticipation and curiosity, and from that comes natural speculation. Mm. And I don't think that's the second season of Jodie Whittaker will be encumbered with that lead in the saddlebags, which could be very interesting. Yeah, that's precisely what I think too. Yeah, good one. Now, another very quick one of these little um, fluff pieces that we cover every now and then, Rob. <laughs> this yes. one from Digital Spy, where they did an interview with Alex Kingston, and they came back at us with the amazing revelation mm -hmm. that she's never actually bothered to learn and memorise River Song's timeline. <laughs> Which I must admit, I haven't done either. Yeah, I, I've got to admit, I haven't done it. I think I once started reading an article where someone had put it together, and once I got past the first two or three stories, I was like, oh, I don't really need to know this. You know, maybe 11-year-old me would have really loved it, but me, I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 11-year-old me would have been completely down for that and putting it all together and drawing the pieces together. I'm I'm kind of indifferent to it, and I just I just take River Song as she comes in each episode. Some episodes I'm a really 
big fan of her performance and she's quite fun. Others, I just find her tiresome mm. and, and, and sort of annoying. Uh, I'm, I'm not a lover or a hater when it comes to River Song. I, I think she's got good and bad. And I don't really care where she fits into the narrative. I think she's just a character. Yeah. Well, at least Alex Kingston's on our side with this, Dave. <laughs> based well, on absolutely. The story. <laughs> absolutely. And I think as an actor, that's kind of all you can do is just go in and give your best performance without being too encumbered by backstory. And imagine if she was trying to sort of have a, a continuity to her performance where she tried to be more uh, down and depressed or sober mm. if it's later in the timeline and more effusive and bubbly if it's not. And I think to the extent that that's important to the story, Moffat would simply have written that in. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we now encounter Alex Kingston as Riversong, and on this occasion she's a particularly bubbly and effusive person, or we are seeing Alex Kingston and she's on this occasion darker and more somber than we're used to. That would come from the showrunner. So I, I just sort of, it never would have occurred to me that Alex Kingston would have memorised it. And I don't know that Stephen Moffat had it pre-prepared anyway. I, I always assume that he was writing it as he went along. You know, he wrote the ending story first and he said, at some point I'll do the penultimate one and at some point I'll do the intro and this one will just be in here. And I don't think he sort of had a five-year master plan for her either, did he? No, I don't think so. I think he pretty much George lucas it, yeah, if yeah. I can put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so look, just a, one of these stories that I think we enjoy sharing, Rob, where you just go, I didn't need to know that. And I'm kind of amazed you think that's worthy of a headline. You, you know which uh, actor in New Who, though, I think would be really concerned about their character's timeline and probably does know every story and where they sit? I'm going to guess John Barrowman. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I bet yeah. he does. So we'll move on to our mini topics, one each this month, Rob. And I haven't got a lot to say on this occasion because, as we foreshadowed in our last podcast, we had the Australian federal election about five days before we're recording this. Mm. And my life really hasn't been my own for the last five or six weeks. Yeah. And I haven't had much time for anything. I'm way behind on television. I'm way behind on podcasts. I'm way behind on housework. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Occasionally, I have sort of had those half hours just to sit down and sort of chill and enjoy myself. And I did pull out The Rescue and The Romans on DVD, and I have watched them over the last few weeks, just an episode here, an episode there. And they really are just such delightful, comfortable viewing. I, I love those stories so much. I love Hartnell's performance in them so much. I love Vicky. Mm. The Romans is, is, is hilarious. I mean, I've seen this. 12, 14, 15 times across my lifetime. Yeah. And I still genuinely laugh at some of the jokes and particularly Hartnell's delivery. They're just so wonderful. The Rescue's a good, fun little character piece. And so in a, in a few weeks where I have not been able to do much, it has been fun just to go back to the well and, and see those two. Oh, what, what great stories. And Maureen O'Brien is a delight. Listeners might remember a couple of episodes back now. I talked about 10th Planet Events going out of business and they're, they're discounting all their autographs and things. I actually bought a Maureen O'Brien autograph uh, oh, wow. recently. Yeah, because uh, Vicky is... I love Vicky as a companion. She's fantastic. She's not Polly, but, you know, she's close. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. That's good. And um, I'm not going to go down any partisan politics on this show. We don't do that. But no. for anybody overseas who's listening, I won't say anything about the result other than the person I work for did hold their seat. So I have got a job. 
Isn't that good? <laughs> Isn't that lovely? <laughs> that is. It is. Fantastic. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly, Dave, about something I think anyone who's been on the internet in the last week or two will be uh, thinking about or seeing comments on it and such. And that's the end of Game of Thrones. Now, I don't think you watch this, do you? I have tried on three occasions to get into the show. Really? Uh, and I failed each time. Why is that? I just wasn't engaged by it. I, I, I watched the first two or three episodes when it came out and mm-hmm. everyone was saying oh you got to get into it and I, I was I was bored stiff and then I watched another one and I don't remember that one then I watched two or three around and I can remember what happened in those events and it's a couple of years ago now are we allowed to give spoilers from a couple of years ago oh I think so so I saw the episode where Joffrey was poisoned and a couple subsequent to that mm. and look it wasn't bad like I wasn't going this is terrible I just wasn't enthused enough to go and watch them anymore and my, my overwhelming thought was i claudius did this 40 years ago <laughs> i thought you'd bring that up uh yeah so but oh, look I'm, I'm not i'm not against the show it just never really grabbed me and uh, i'm certainly very aware that it's finished because social media has been full of it where, where do you fall on this one rob oh look dave i've been watching it since the start and enjoying it on the whole i've got to say though i kind of fall into this category not completely but to some degree of people saying in the last couple of seasons without the books to really rely on for characterization, bits of dialogue, things like this, the quality of the show did go down a little. And at the same time, they made less episodes per season, which was really bizarre because they had this big story still to fill out. And for the last couple of uh, seasons, they made less episodes. And I think this series we've just had could have done with another two if not four episodes to really flesh things out to really let us see characters develop and change as they move towards the the end game of the show so not an own goal i was happy i was even happy with the final episode i mean truth be told what happened in the final episode had been sitting out there on reddit for get this 11 months because they filmed this yeah they filmed this so long ago and someone leaked it and on reddit there have been posts out there for 11 months with these dot points saying this happens then this happens then this happens then this person ends up king and it's like wow and originally people were saying oh this is this is just made up this is we're 11 months out this is a fan making you know up and as these uh episodes came out this series it was like oh that leaker was correct about that and that, and then another week ago by, oh, they're correct about that and that. Does this mean mm, is going to be the king at the end? Yes, it did. And that was quite amazing. It was the worst leak I've ever seen from any TV show ever. Wow, okay. But that's by the by. I, <laughs> I did want to sort of bring it up to talk more about, gosh, this, this petition that's been going on, people wanting the series remade. There's like 1.2, 1.3 million people have signed it so yeah, far. So, so is, just... Pause there, Rob, because I've, I've kind of seen this happening, but not really followed it. So fans are unhappy with the conclusion, and there is a petition to remake, what, the episode or the season or to just completely change the plot line. Is that what they're saying? It's, it's to remake the season with, I think, quote-unquote, competent writers. And the guy who made it, look, a day or two after he made it and it took off like wildfire, he said, look, I don't really think they'll remake it that's not how petitions work these episodes cost a lot they've made it it's, it's not going to get remade he said but it's kind of like the joker <laughs> in batman which batman was it the dark knight uh you know you got to send a message and so he sort of saw couching it in those 
controversial terms of let's remake it with competent writers is sort of sending a message. And like I say, 1.3 million people plus signing it is not insignificant. Uh, it, it did annoy a lot of people, and they weren't just like neckbeards living in their mother's basement. The, these are people across a big cross-section of society. I was flicking through Twitter, and it's like people living all over the world. It's, it's not just your stereotypical male white nerd saying this stuff. It, it disappointed a whole bunch of people. As you can tell, you don't get 1.3 million people signing a petition, even a, a, a funny sort of jokey one, like let's remake the series, without there being some real problem for a lot of people. So is it because the quality of the last episode or episodes was intrinsically and objectively poor, or is it because it didn't wrap the story up the way they thought it should or they wanted it to? Yeah, certainly the last two episodes sent some characters off on tangents that people didn't like. But I can't say they were tangents that weren't signposted along the way. They certainly were. Other characters met deaths that people thought were a bit underwhelming, you know, after almost 10 years of watching this show and thinking, oh, that that person's going to get theirs. They get theirs, but it's not in a very uh, exciting way. <laughs> you know, I'm right, trying to right. be non-spoilerific here. And so people were disappointed with how some characters were treated in terms of how they ended up, how they were killed. Uh, and even in the final episode, it did have a slight feel-good factor. For those who were left, they all sort of got a slightly sort of happy ending. Even if they were left looking stoically off into the distance, you know, uh, I'm trying to be really non-spoilerific here, Dave. No, no, no. I, I, get, I get what you're saying, and you probably don't need to go any further. Mm. Look. As an outsider, I'm just sort of sitting there thinking, well, that's what happens in narratives. At some point, they come to a, a, a stop and the writer does try to tie everything up in a nice little bundle. That's that's not unusual. And um, whilst I've been sort of watching all this, I have been thinking, and I'll drop our Simpsons reference in here, Rob, I, uh, I have been thinking about that bit where Homer turns to Marge at the end of the episode and says, Marge, I'm confused. Was that a happy ending or a sad ending? <laughs> to which she replies... It's an ending. That's enough. <laughs> well, yes, we did have an ending. That's for sure. But if I could just branch off there for, for one moment. Yeah. You say petitions don't work like that. They don't achieve anything. But the Sonic the Hedgehog movie has just been sent back to the production team to have all the design of its CGI lead character redone basically from scratch because of fan feedback following a trailer drop. Dave, you're absolutely correct about that, and that's something I was following too uh, when it broke because the the Sonic trailer came out, and the first thing everyone said was, "My God, Sonic doesn't look like Sonic," <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, to, it's... to which, as somebody who's never watched Sonic, played Sonic, had anything to do with Sonic the Hedgehog, I was sort of sitting there being slightly incredulous, going, "Well, please tell me, what does a Sonic actually look like in real life?" <laughs> <laughs> but it just is interesting that. This is a studio that is so keen to ensure that the fandom base turns out that they are willing to drop a considerable amount of time and money and effort to redo a special effect to make sure that the fandom is, in inverted commas, satisfied. Yeah, you know, I think it could depend on how big the uh, the franchise is because I think the people making Sonic, if they're looking at it, they're, they're probably thinking, well, who does this movie appeal to? We're making it for kids, but have kids been playing Sonic lately or is it more for people in their 30s who played Sonic well, well, 20 years ago? Well, that's right. No, no kid 
who is sort of the you would think the target audience for this is an eight, nine, ten, is sitting there going, uh, "That's not how Sonic looked in the nineties. Like, you know. <laughs> so clearly, they are worried about those people who did grow up in the nineties and are going, "That's not my Sonic." Which I don't know whether that's fan entitlement. I don't know whether it's genuine feedback. I don't know whether it's sort of the ultimate expression of two-way marketing. Um, and I actually don't really have an opinion. I just raise it as a path that we may now start to go down. Well, this is where I wanted to end up with this discussion. You know, when we look at genre fandom, whenever someone criticizes something, now the people who like that thing are very quick to say, oh, you're you're an entitled so-and-so. And I I kind of rail against that because I think, well, look, let's let's use Sonic as the example. If I look at that CGI Sonic, even before I saw the controversy, even before I saw petitions, even before I saw any of it, I looked at it and thought, that doesn't look like Sonic. Yeah, it's a blue sort of fluffy thing that's vaguely like Sonic, but why aren't the eyes bigger? Why aren't the hands bigger? What What's going on with the legs? Why does it have human teeth? They were all the questions that came into my head straight away. And if there are people out there saying, Oh well, if you raise those as issues, you're an in, you're entitled. I think well, well, no. You know, I know this franchise. I know what the character should look like. I think it's fairly freaking obvious that I should be saying that. And it's the same with Game of Thrones. If if you don't like an ending, are you not allowed to say I didn't like that ending? I thought this could have been done better. I th- I thought the series needed more episodes. Whatever the actual complaint might be, are you not allowed to say that anymore? Or are these people always just going to say, "Well, you're just an entitled fan"? I I understand entitlement. I understand what that means. But I think, like some words that get thrown around these days, it's getting thrown around a wee bit too easy. If I can put it that way. Yeah. Look, I do see what you're saying, and you are correct. There is. I think, an important and distinct line between having a personal opinion and expecting the rest of the world to comply to your opinion. Now, you're right. If a large number of individuals all have a similar opinion, then that is an interesting tell. But I guess what we don't know and we can't quantify is how many millions of Game of Thrones watchers did like it or how many people were indifferent to Sonic the Hedgehog. It's always going to be a vocal group that will get the attention you never know whether they are representative or whether they are not and to make a a non-partisan point about our recent federal election every opinion poll for the last three years was wrong including the opinion polls on the last day across all companies the Mm. exit polls across all companies they were all out in a significant and consistent way and certainly if you were to do polls of social media and twitter they would have been out by an even greater margin and so you have to at some point say to yourself well what is more representative and and to bring it back to doctor who occasionally we do make that point that a few thousand irate people on twitter doesn't necessarily represent four five six eight million viewers in the uk and more around the world that's true. To briefly raise The Last Jedi, though, I know this is my hobby horse that I like to whip regularly. I know people who aren't social media users, aren't online, aren't really even across the issues that are going on out there around The Last Jedi. And I say, well, what did you think of The Last Jedi? You know, And they'll say, oh, God, it was awful. Didn't really fit. I didn't like it. And these are people who aren't even tainted by that bubble. So, yes, within that bubble, within that echo chamber, there is a number of people who say, we don't like The Last Jedi, whereas... You know, the, the, the figures, the, the money, the box office shows that a lot of people did go and see it. But 
you do still meet people from outside the bubble who think the same thing. So it's sometimes, oh gosh, it's always in between, isn't it? Well, well, well yes, and that's where a studio or a production house has to be able to have a way to wade through it all and go, right, what is just genuine, just angry, entitled, you know, living in mother's basement people who are just angry at the world you know who, who is the comic book guy from the simpsons mm. and what is actual genuine large numbers of audience who go yeah didn't quite like that one and and you look at the cinema scores sometimes where they do drop and you go okay that didn't quite work with audiences and you, you can look at it so yeah it's it it's complicated i think is what we're saying yeah and it, and it loops me back to what i was saying a moment ago it depends on the size of the franchise i think sonic's probably quite worried that they maybe have a limited-ish sort of audience and they want to draw in as many people as they can. Whereas, say, Lucasfilm giving the next Star Wars trilogy to uh, Benioff and Weiss, who made uh, Game of Thrones, are they sitting there thinking, God, everyone's hating how these guys wrote Game of Thrones towards the end. Uh, are we really wise in giving them the trilogy? I think they're just going to say, look, it's a new Star Wars trilogy. These guys are fairly competent. Let's just get on with it. I don't think they're going to worry at all just because it's such a big juggernaut franchise. No, but then you get somebody like DC who do look at the reaction to several of their films and say, well, maybe that direction isn't actually resonating with audiences, so let's go for a tonal shift. And they have gone for a lighter, more friendly, more accessible type of film. And and so that, that has been an example of feedback changing the direction of a franchise so yeah look many examples across there mm, absolutely anyway we, we we got off on a tangent there didn't we we, we really was... did didn't we i hope you don't <laughs> mind audience oh, i don't think they will i think based on what people say to us on twitter i think our audience you know they, they watch game of thrones they watch star wars and such as well but we will come back to our main topic now rob and that is special effects that you would change mm. so as, as i said at the start of the show we, we're not having a go at Doctor Who special effects. We're not saying we don't watch them because of all the special effects. We're going to mention some stories here that I think perhaps we're quite fond of and we know others are certainly fond of, but occasionally there is that special effect or that production value in Doctor Who where you go, that's really let the side down. And, and, and because the show perhaps hinges off it or perhaps because of the way that it affects a show or the role it plays in the story does actually bring the story down and you do sort of wish that they could have done it with a with a modern budget and they're the ones that we're kind of having a look at here not to kick them just to say would these be better regarded if they'd had modern production values modern special effects yeah and there's going to be a lot of personal opinion in this day because Ooh, I, yes. I i went through the list and i'd look at many stories and think oh well there's effects there that oh well, absolutely you could change but would i want to change them and for some stories i think the effects are quite charming and of their time and i actually like them and yes. i wouldn't change them at all even though objectively you can look at it and say that's a terrible effect well that looks horrible yes absolutely uh, so at the end, I don't know about you, Dave, but I've got a few episodes I wouldn't touch that I'm going to raise and, and mention those briefly as well. Absolutely. So look, let's kick on. Um, we didn't set ourselves a particular number, but genuinely, coincidentally, we've both come up with six each mm -hmm. and we've put them into chronological order. I know what seasons you've picked, Rob. You know what seasons I've picked, but we don't know the stories. No. But we do know that I'm kicking us off with a story from season two, and that is The Web Planet. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, here, I'm not looking at a lot of it, but 
I think the Web Planet holds together very well. It, it is a bit slow, it's of its time, but it is wonderfully creative, wonderfully inventive. The way they try and create monoptral culture and, and the Planet of Waters is really good. But the big conclusion, the big climax, is the final confrontation with the TARDIS crew and the Animus. Mm-hmm. And the Animus is embarrassingly bad. It's just this sort of giant spidery thing clearly just sort of tied to the studio roof occasionally bouncing up and down when somebody sort of gives it a nudge off screen and and for it to be the big bad of a six-week epic that's that's been so engaging and so interesting and just falls and looks so terrible you know you get that stuff where barbara is sort of rolling around on the floor trying to point the isotope at it and it's and it's just sort of sitting there bouncing and it's yes it, it's a shame and I, I think i don't want to redo all the special effects in the web planet but i think if the animus looked better that would be a far more exciting conclusion if the animus yeah. was more like say the, uh, the 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 cgi sarlacc in the remade uh, return of the jedi Ooh, yeah. You know, with with tentacles that actually move and, and some, some sort of threat, you know, that could actually be a really exciting conclusion that I think would add a lot to the story. So don't want to remake all of the web planet, but I want a better Animus at the end of the web planet. Mm. All right. So on to season seven. And this is obviously one of your favorite seasons, Dave. So yep. I'm wondering if you're already guessing what I might have. I picked. have a suspicion, and I'm going to be curious to hear it. So go on, Rob. Slate, slated sacred cow in front of me. Doctor Who and the Silurians. Okay, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few things I'd change here, Dave. Uh, firstly, I change the Silurian costumes. I'd still have the same style, but I think they can look a lot more lifelike. I, th- I think that's fair to say, rather than just rubbery suits. I, I'm not saying go to the extremes of what they look like in New Who with the uh, the human faces and then they put on the, the the reptile mask to look like reptiles. I'm saying keep it pretty much like it, like it was, but change that for sure. Uh, the scenes down in the caves, I think, could be done a lot better, a lot more expansively, a lot more scarily. And, and vitally at the end, Dave, the explosion where the brigadier kills them. Mm. <laughs> it's just it's just this like in the background <laughs> and it's like that's it. Okay, maybe I can imagine more happened underground, but I really would have liked to have seen some big bloody explosion. Uh just horrifying. They're the things I would touch up in that story because the reason I would do it is because it's a brilliant story and to me it's let down by those issues. Interesting. It's certainly not one that I would pick, and I'm sure you you realise that. Yes. If there's anything in that story I'll change, it would be the dinosaur. Okay. Yeah, look, you're you're right. I wouldn't change the Solarian costumes, but could they be a little bit more naturalistic? Could the mouths look a little bit better? Yeah. Uh, Could could the head not obviously be sort of shaking when the battery goes off in the third eye? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and, and and in some areas, these are not so much special effects, but practical effects, but they're still effects. No, no, fair enough. Uh, so that was the first of three Pertwees that we're covering, and the second is one of mine. Mm-hmm. Now, picture this, Rob. Yes. We have a story. We have unit. Yes. We have the master. Yes. The master's got a plan. It's it's interesting. It involves time. It's, it's something different. We have an evil from the dawn of time, an all-powerful figure that even the Doctor is afraid of. The yeah. Master's summoning it. It comes towards us, and it's a guy in a rubber suit flapping his turkey wings really, really violently. 
Do you know what I'm talking about, Rob? It's the demons. No. <laughs> it's the time monster. It's the time monster. I'm talking Kronos from the time monster. I think the time monster gets a lot of bad publicity that isn't entirely deserved. I think the first two episodes on Earth are the weakest. The middle two, with all the stuff with the Doctor and the Master, the Tardises, is kind of cool. And the last two in Atlantis are really cool. Um, I love what they're doing in Atlantis. I love Dalios as a character. I love the destruction of Atlantis. But the whole thing hinges on Kronos the Cronivore being this big, evil, dangerous, mm. malevolent, powerful thing that even the Doctor is terrified of and that the Master's terrified of and the Master's really going right out there on the edge of sanity by trying to control this beast, mm. this, this creature. And they do a lot of stuff where they just have that flapping sound and a lot of light off screen and, and all the rest of it. But there are moments when it is just a guy with a ridiculous helmet costume, some <laughs> fake wings, desperately <laughs> flapping about. He's clearly got legs. And, and the legs just look so stupid yeah. on something that's meant to be like sort of bird-like. It's, it's, it's really, really bad. Not so bad in the bit where they do the destruction of Atlantis because at least then he's flying around on the Kirby wires and you've got all the other stuff going on. But yeah, I think if Kronos looked the way that it was built up to look, yeah, this would be a better story and a better regarded story. Oh, look, I completely agree because it seems every episode of this podcast or at least every second episode of this podcast, I end up saying, I read the target book first, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yes, and in this case, I did read the Target book first. I, I know this episode was kicking around with my local club president, but for some reason I hadn't seen it on television. I hadn't seen his VHS copy of it. And the Target novel came out in the late 80s, and I read it and thought this this story was just fantastic. I thought it was a, a fantastic story, amazing. And then I saw it, and I thought, okay, that's not quite as good. <laughs> and, I, and I retreated back to the book. Yeah. But that, but that is proof positive that the story itself is really good. Mm. And it is, and it is let down by things like that effect. Yeah, I, I think so. So, yeah, I want to redo Kronos. Okay, another Pertwee season eleven, and I'm guessing you can guess this one too, Dave. Because I it's have a so obvious suspicion. Yes. All right, I'll I'll pull the bandaid off. It's Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Okay. And what would I change? I change the dinosaurs. Obviously, the the story is brilliant. Again, it, it's like uh, the Time Monster. It, it, it's a fantastic story, but. The, the the dinosaurs just let it down. I know, I know for the time it was great and so on, but it, it is the one thing that people will raise whenever you bring this story up, whether it's with a, a fan locally, a fan, you know, in the middle of the USA, a fan anywhere on Earth. Mm. <laughs> All fans will say, that's a good story, but dot, 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 and they bring up the dinosaurs. It's, it's the obvious thing to change. It's the only flaw in the whole damn thing. Which is disappointing, you know, because it is such a great story. Oh, my God, Dave. It, it is a fantastic story. And as one of the founding members of the Invasion of the Dinosaurs fan club, I, I'm <laughs> you know, definitely out there, a card-carrying member. Even if you just change the Tyrannosaurus, you know, the, the others I don't think are too bad. And that's partly because, well, the Pterodactyl as well. But the Stegosaurus mm. and the Brontosaurus and the Triceratops, they kind of just have to stand there in a model and look okay. And, and they kind of do that. Whereas the Tyrannosaurus actually has to act, so to speak. It actually has to menace at the particular times and do stuff. And the other thing is, you know, research into the dinosaurs was still, you know, far, far less advanced 45 years ago now than it is today. And, and mm. remember when they were making Jurassic Park, 
And there was all that new research just coming out about how the Tyrannosaurus Rex actually would have stood and how it would have moved. Yeah. And, and that it would have been that much more sort of forward-leaning and agile on its feet sort of thing. But what they did in Invasion of the Dinosaurs, if you look at any storybook or book about dinosaurs made that time, that time or prior, they all had the Tyrannosaurus Rex as they sort of leaning back, standing upright, sort of squat creature. Mm, mm. Um Almost Godzilla-like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and and so we just didn't have any really knowledge of how to do it. And so, yeah, I think you would approach the Tyrannosaurus in a completely different way now. You wouldn't just take what it is and, and, and make it look better. You would just change the whole concept of it. So mm. it could be really interesting to do. But you, you would have to change the story. I mean, you couldn't imagine a Jurassic Park-style Tyrannosaurus just standing there for five minutes whilst the action sort of happened around it and it just sort of roared, which is kind of what we thought dinosaurs did, but we now know the Tyrannosaurus leaned forward and was agile and could run. And and so, you know, you'd have to change the story to, to suit that. That's a really interesting idea. I'm just going to throw this out there because I, I've got the visual in my head at the moment. Could you imagine the Jodie Whittaker Doctor? Imagine Invasion of the Dinosaurs never happened in the Pertwee era and the Jodie Whittaker Doctor appears in this next series in Invasion of the Dinosaurs and we have modern dinosaurs running around a deserted London. Maybe we have, I don't know which of the companions would end up on the uh, pretend spaceship. Uh, let's say Yaz. You give Yaz something to do. Yeah, that would be very cool, actually. Yeah, just imagine the current TARDIS team with special effects in that same story, and I think, wow, people would think that is amazing. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And just I mean, to- the same applies to all the new Who Doctors as well, but Jodie is our current Doctor. She had a bit of a duff season, you know, last season, and I just think, put her in something like this. Wouldn't wouldn't it be incredible? Let's go even further. I'm imagining Graham still getting over the death of his wife, looking for meaning in his life, and being one of the people recruited into Operation Golden Age. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be good? That would be very good. Good And call. the dinosaurs would appeal to kids. It all fits. It all yep. comes together. It would appeal to older fans, younger fans, everybody. Oh. No, Why look- aren't we writing the show, Dave? <laughs> No, look, that that started as an obvious one, Rob, but yeah, you've, you've gone into a really interesting place, so I like that. But uh, the mm. next one is yours as well, and we're now into the Tom era. Yeah, we're into the Tom era, and this is probably my most... Oh, this is this is probably my most stretching sort of one. It, but it just... I was looking at names, I was thinking about effects and stories, and I thought, yeah, I would change that. There, there are many, many, many ones that I wouldn't, but for some reason, this one just stuck out to me. And it's the Invasion of Time. Interesting. I thought it was going to be something else when I saw what season it was from, but no, no, you've surprised me. So keep going. No, there are two things that have always bugged me in this in this story, and it's the way the Vardens look when they're sort of energy right. beings. You know, when they're that crappy sort of energy effect. I think a modern effect, a modern shimmery energy being, could look very, very cool. You know, in a story like this, amazing even. And the second thing is uh, the interior of the TARDIS, where they just went and filmed it in an old hospital. I used to get just so irate as a kid, like, this this looks nothing like the, the, the TARDIS. <laughs> They're just in some building. What is this? I understand the TARDIS can probably look like whatever it wants to look like, but there was just no cues to it being the TARDIS to me, you know. Tweak those two things, and this story would be even better than it is. 
you started this segment, Rob, by saying that this is all a matter of opinion. Yes. And I totally disagree with you on this one, I've got to say. (laughs) Nothing you've said ever really stood out to me as a problem. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, the the interior of the TARDIS in particular always bugged me as a kid. I, I get why it would, but I just never cared. That's okay. Like I said, this is this is my one of my six yeah, that yeah, is the yeah. most reaching, weird sort of one. Oh, well, but I would well, still no. do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we were certainly going to have some divergent opinions across the way. And this, this could be the one where we diverge the most. Mm. And if you were redoing the special effects or the production values on the invasion of time, would you completely change the TARDIS interior and make it very conventional TARDIS-y? Or would you sort of take what they're going for, these sort of different spaces and these different ideas, but just every so often have a few randles and every so often yes. have a few things just to just to remind you you're inside it? Is that what you're saying? Yes, because back in uh, the mid-80s, I think around 86, there was a, a strip in Doctor Who Monthly and there were some episodes where the Doctor was walking... Episodes, here we go. <laughs> there were some issues <laughs> where the Doctor was walking around the TARDIS with Frobisher and you sort of got glimpses into other parts of the TARDIS and you would see a room where Bessie was parked in a room and you'd see another room where there was a couple of these old coats up on mannequins. And I, I used to just reread those pages because I used to just love seeing inside the TARDIS and seeing all these different things. So, yes, I, I fully believe you can have different things. The much talked about TARDIS pool, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just some sort of sense, at least in that era where the TARDIS did have a particular look on the inside. Just, as you say, some roundels here and there, some panels just something that, that just pushes it more towards, yes, we're still in the TARDIS. It's, it's, it's different, we know, but it's still the TARDIS. Not just, I'm running down a deserted hospital corridor. Okay, I could get behind that. Hmm. As I say, it's my weird one. No, 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 no I, I get what you're saying. It, it wouldn't be my pick, and it, well, it wasn't one of my picks, but I, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Alrighty. So the next one is one of mine, and I'm going to say this at the start. If the pitch to the writer is... Robert, write us a story with the biggest Doctor Who monster ever. Mm. You'd kind of want that monster to actually work if you're hinging the whole concept off it. And in The Power of Kroll, <laughs> it doesn't. Now, let me be very specific here. I think that the model of Kroll actually isn't too bad for mm. 1978 or whatever it was. Yeah. But the way that it interacts with the other models, the way that it interacts with the filmed location work, the way that it's um, patched in and all all the rest of it, completely fails to sell the idea that this model is in the same place as everything else that is going on. It just completely does not look realistic. And it could have been just... It's just so close to being correct, and it just doesn't quite work. So the scenes where it's attacking the swampy village and they've clearly just locked off the top half of the camera for the model shot and there's a, and there's one straight flat line and the same when it's on the horizon then yeah. when Kroll goes to attack the refinery the refinery model looks nice the Kroll model looks nice but the two are completely mismatched and it actually just ends up looking like a puppet attacking a small refinery model in a, in a, in a pool or in a bath mm. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's that last 10% that doesn't quite work and I think that if you're going to call the story The Power of Kroll, you're going to write a story that's all about this great big huge octopus monster thing, mm. that's got to work, and it doesn't quite, and I think The Power of Kroll would be better regarded if Kroll did work. I, I think the Swampies could also do with a little bit of extra care and love, particularly the wigs, but 
that's a quite an interesting story. It's quite a moral story. There's, it's got interesting Robert Holmes characters. It's got a bit of wit. Uh, Tom Baker plays it well. It's it's got Philip Maddock. Mm. It's but, got great location shooting. I love yeah. out there on the marshes. I yeah. think that looks fantastic. Yeah, it does. It, it's just that the crawl model doesn't work, and I think that's a problem, and I would like to redo the crawl model. Okay. I, I certainly considered this story. I think the fact that it does work to a degree, as you say, it's the last 10% that's not working, is why I gave it a pass and didn't tip it onto my list. I did consider it, though. So we're, we're pretty close on this one, Dave. I, th- I, I agree an updated crawl could could sell that story a little better for sure fair enough we are continuing with the tom baker era with another of yours i have genuinely no idea what this one is i know it's from season 18 i i don't know where you're going so tell me oh come on dave there's a season 18 story that is so effects heavy it's very effects heavy i can no just tell me warrior's gate okay now the whole thing dave is just so trippy you know for the time the things they're doing on the video they're very cheesy but they're very cool i get it you know i can watch it now and go oh this is just weird and trippy and you know very very 70s but i just like it to look a bit better you know the same idea is just better realized you know whether it's walking around in that in that white void whether Mm. it's walking around those strange gardens i'd actually like it to look like they're walking around the garden rather than just an image of the garden you know, that has its own charm, though. You, you know, it, it does work to some degree. Uh, you say Power of Kroll was the last 10% that needed doing it. Here, it's maybe the last 20% that yeah. just doesn't quite work for me because it is a weird thing that they're trying to show. So it looks weird, and that's cool. It fits. But, oh, man, that story, I think, could just be tipped into greatness if it just had slightly better effects for what it's about i i also think like power of crawl the bigger problem in warrior's gate is the interaction between the effects so the privateer spaceship is a good model it looks okay the 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 gateway is a great model that looks good tardis etc but when you get to the end and you've got that one shot that's got all the models sort of all together clearly on a studio white background altogether it just doesn't work Hmm. and and, and you're right all the pieces here i think do work really well and really nicely but sometimes the bringing them together they don't all work together yeah yeah and and that's disappointing because it is such a different story too for doctor who like i can't think of anything like it in that in that season or in, in most of doctor who really no and look when you told me that one of your picks was from season 18 I did wonder if you were going to redo The Great One from State of Decay. Ah. But I'm glad you didn't because I kind of like it. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Into Davo. Um, I'm the only one who's picked a Davo story. Yeah, I had an embargo around Davo because all of Davo is perfect, Dave. You should know this. (laughs) Uh, I would like to redo with completely new production values from top to bottom, special effects, monster costume, sets... Uh, video effects work the lot I want to redo Terminus okay fair call fair call there are some fantastic concepts in Terminus some some great concepts in Terminus but it looks drab and cheap you have these great engines that they're going to explode and destroy the universe and there's sort of a couple of meters square sitting <laughs> at the back of a studio the GAM I don't know what they're trying to do but 
the, the fact that you can clearly see the cloth inside his mouth and the, mm. and, the, and the light bob eyes, no, it should, it should never have been seen. It should just have been in shadow if that was what they were going to do. Uh, the models are dull. The sets are dull. That, that skull motif in the first episode is kind of cool, but the costumes are silly. But yeah, the, the, it just doesn't match the greatness and the grandeur of the story. And that's a great shame. And I would like to see a completely remade with new production values, Terminus. I think that would be a far more interesting and watched and, and regarded story. You know, you're talking about a remade Terminus there. And, and look, I, I concur with all those points. And I was talking about a remade Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I think, where are these writers? Where are the writers with this sort of imagination writing for the current series? <laughs> you know, I don't mean to be rude to the current writers, but you look at the imagination and the things that are going on in a story like Terminus, and you think, gosh, what if what if that was being handed in as a script today? Wouldn't that be a fantastic episode? Mm. I can't see it any other way, you know. Um, but yeah, look, completely, completely agree. The garm, uh, the the armor those guys are wearing, it's an interesting design, but it doesn't quite look right as armor. Um, yeah, and for, and for Nissa's farewell story too, it would have been great if this was just a, a cracking looking story. Yeah, I actually think the script works. I think the script is really good. Oh, it, it does absolutely. But it it is one story where the visual effects are just so drab. And just completely fail to deliver the grandeur. And, and that is a shame. Yeah, absolutely. So that was our one Davo. You're going to take us through with our one Colin and our one McCoy. Yes. Isn't this interesting? Mm. Because uh, I've got to say, I'm, I'm not looking at any new Who stories in this list, Dave. No, but I've got two. So you're going to take us mm. to the end of the classic era. I am. So let's kick off with season 22 and the story, which you could guess, oh, I don't know, there's maybe a few. <laughs> Time Lash, Dave. Yeah, look, Time I think lash. that's the obvious pick. So how, how would you do it? Where would you focus? Oh, look, the, the, the sets overall could do without looking like, well, 1980s sets. But it, it's the Time Lash itself. I think that could be amazingly scary. Instead, it's very panto from the outside. Yeah. Like, like people going up to it and sort of, whoop, and, and dropping through. It's like something you would see on a panto stage, you know. Just a really crap on-stage panto effect. It's terrible. Uh, and, of course, the inside of it is a joke, too. Just those things sticking out of the walls and the... Is it sparkly? I think it's sparkly inside. It's tinselly. It? It's tinselly. Yeah, God, yuck. Um, <laughs> and yet it could be this... Re- Imagine if it was this swirling, horrible maelstrom with screams coming out of it. I'm just making this up as I go along. I'm, but, thinking, and- I'm thinking the portal at the end of season five of Buffy in The Gift, where that portal that's going to destroy the world is created. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. And and people are generally terrified of this thing. And, and oh, my God, it could be fantastic. And it's just not. And, you know, with just a tweak. As I say, I'd love to do all the sets and make it look not so 80s. But if I could just redo the time lash inside and out and just have people a bit more scared of it, oh, man, that could really help. Yeah, if you're going to call the story time lash... That thing has to work. Yes. And if there's any money left over, we can do the bandrels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have their own sort of appeal. Anyway, season 24, Dave, is my second one. So it takes us into the McCoy era. And this this is, this is probably my second most reaching sort of one because mm. I can see how this story works. But would I like to do some things to it? Yeah, I think I would. 
And that story is Paradise Towers. Like I say, it's a story I almost wouldn't touch in some ways. But the sense of unreality around it, you know, a, a lot of McCoy stories have this unreal sort of feeling to them. Think of, say, The Happiness Patrol. Yep. But The Happiness Patrol sort of falls on the right side of unreality. It, it, like, it feels very unreal, but I'm okay with it. This one feels very unreal, and I'm, oh, I just want to tweak it somehow. I want to tweak the cleaning robots. I want to tweak the look of it. Could it have been filmed in a real tower block? I, I know I talked about this on a recent episode, and I was kind of like, oh, that might make it too much like dread. But there's just something about this story that I think is good and interesting, and I think it's a fascinating place to set a story, and, and with what's going on there, it's it's deserving of a bit more than how it looks. You know, would I, would I rough the Kangs up a bit as well? That's not really a special effect, but I might roughen them up as well, make them more like a scary sort of game than just some, some girls from the local high school, you know, playing hooky. But... Uh, Paradise Towers, Dave, does that do it for you? We've discussed before that I'm quite a fan of Paradise Towers. I think the script is very clever. There's some good actors in it. There's, there's a couple of poor directorial choices. But you're right. Everything you say there would, would improve it and I think improve its reputation. I was just thinking, though, as you were talking, I can remember season 24 is around the time that I did join fandom as a very young boy. Mm. And I can remember reading the local fanzines at the time. They had many criticisms of the season, the stories, um, Bonnie, Sylvester. But there was this very real consensus that the special effects had really been turned up a notch this year. And the Rani's bubble trap and Kane's melting face were two that fans really pointed to and said, see? Doctor Who special effects can be really good. And the Tetrap costumes and the Ice World stuff. You know, fans were actually quite impressed by the special effects that year. And it, it's funny to look back now at some of those and go, we were impressed by that? Wow. Mm. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I think I think what you're saying is very fair. Yeah, I, I do see where they were coming from, though, with a few of those things. Like the, the, the bubble trap, I don't think had been seen before in Who. And the, the Kane's melting face was very sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark and so on. So I, I see why those things excited them. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. So we've done 10 from the classic series and, and you've had six of them. So I've got two left from the new series. Mm. The first of them, I'll just say it outright, is Evolution of the Daleks. Okay. Because this is an example of where I thought... Look, I don't think that Evil of the Daleks is a great story to start with. Let me say that. But... I can remember watching this and looking at some of the special effects across the whole of the two parts and just thinking they were so embarrassingly terrible that I was starting to laugh at the story, not enjoy the story or even really watch the story. The Dalek sort of opening up and trying to consume the bad guy. Then his <laughs> his mask with those things on his face. Um, the pig people. The stuff with the Doctor sort of trying to capture lightning on a tower. Like... Some of these things were just laugh out loud, embarrassingly badly done. Clearly not through lack of money or through lack of know-how, but just what seemed like a good idea at the time on screen does not work. And yeah. I'm not saying that Evolution of the Daleks or Daleks in Manhattan would become fan favourites if you updated the special effects, but I think that a lot of the criticism they get, and I, I, I'm the first to criticise them, is because of the way they've done these special effects. And if you redid them with hindsight, you could actually make this much creepier and much more effective. Yeah, I mean, they're not certainly not among my favourite uh, episodes, but I think of elements of them, like the, uh, the people living in the park, 
those scenes. Uh, do you know the bits I mean where the yes. people are living in... Is it Central Park they must be living in? It is Central Park, like yes. Yeah. yeah. And all those sort of scenes, I think that's really cool and historical and I'm quite interested in that. But, yeah, the, the guy getting around in the suit with the Dalek face and all that sort of stuff and even some of the accents and so on, I know that's not an effect, though. <laughs> but, oh, my God, Laszlo! Uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, you could take, yeah, yeah, I'll just say yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I've said my piece there. Very good. And the second one, we're only going two, three years ago with this one, is a story that is very much maligned. I've never really had a problem with it, but I do think it falls apart when you suddenly have a great big giant flying chicken bursting out of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, of course, Kill the Moon. I yes. quite like Kill the Moon. I like the setup. I like all that night filming in the special location. I think it looks great. I like the way that the choice is given to the Earth. I like the realistic way Earth makes that choice. I think there's some good stuff there. But again, when your big finale is a giant space monster and the giant space monster looks terrible, looks cheap. And again, another point, the interaction that it has where you just cannot believe that that came out of the moon and that's completely uh, dotted and highlighted and lampshaded and all the rest of it by the fact it then proceeds to magically lay another egg that is exactly the size of the one that it just came out of, it just falls apart. And if that's your big dramatic finale and it falls flat because it looks silly, that kind of spoils the episode for you. So I would like to see those last special effects of Kill the Moon redone and see if that enhances people's views. Because I do think underneath it, the first... 90% 90% of it is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a problematic premise. It's like the, the writer had this idea and maybe even thought of the issues with it and then just couldn't let go of it and just, you know, pushed it through to a conclusion, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know how it lays an egg bigger than itself. Like, it, what, it, what, what are it, the physics there? It, exactly. So even if you redid it and it laid a sort of soft squidgy egg that was, you know, over the course of a little bit of time, expanded out you know in 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 some sort of way or look if we're actually going to go back and we're we're now talking script rather than effect but if it wasn't the earth's moon yeah yeah, well exactly of an alien planet for sure yeah even then i'd wonder what it's been living on inside the egg all this time i mean food supply would be uh, finite uh, how long it had been sitting there and what it had been eating how was it alive well if you're going to pick on all those things in Doctor Who you can write off 95% of the stories right? so, oh I know I know Dave and that's, and, that's part of the problem isn't and, it and, and, but, but again I think this is my point if that special effect made you go wow that's cool you wouldn't be asking those questions but if you look at the special effect and go hang on that doesn't work now you're out of the story and now you are going well hang on how did it get out of that thing and what was it living on and how did it lay an egg bigger than itself and why did that woman's face explode like you just <laughs> you know what's going on here i think that is a brilliant point that is an excellent point dave because yeah if if you go along with a story and you believe in it you you'll go along with some real bollocks at times you really really will but you enjoy it it's fun you might even realise it was bollocks, but you're okay with it. But when you are taken out, as you say, it, it, it becomes problematic. Yeah, and that's why I was sort of pleased that this ended up as being my last choice, because I think it does highlight that problem that we're trying to discuss here, which is the moment when the special effects get so bad that you just go, I now know I'm watching a TV show and it's flawed. Oh, look, and I can see all the other flaws as well. Mm. As opposed to, I'm just enjoying this and look, that looks cheesy, but I so don't care. 
Well, that brings us to the end, Dave. But I think for an epilogue, I would like to certainly talk about shows that fans might hate the effects in. Maybe we hate the effects in, but which didn't make our lists for certain reasons and why. Yeah, yeah. so shall I throw one off the bat or do you want to start? Well, look, I'll, I'll start with an era because I thought, you okay. know, I'm going, to go back, I'm going to go back to the start. I'm going to go back to Hartnell where people think, you know, possibly Doctor Who was at its, you know, oldest and, and ropiest and effects really weren't much chopped back in those days at all. At least in the Pertwee era where an effect looks crap, at least they're using CSO and things and, you know, having a real shot. In the Hartnell era, it was very hard to do this sort of stuff. And so I think of historicals like Marco Polo and the Aztecs, and I think I wouldn't change that at all. Even though you could now redo them. Like Marco Polo, you could go on location and make it look like they're actually there. Mm. But I think there were some amazing practical sets in Marco Polo, from what you see of the photography, like especially the colour photography. Yes. Like they were doing some amazing stuff there. And in the Aztecs, there are some very clever sets that give you this real sort of, they're trying to show a depth of field that there's stuff happening out there in the distance. And it's, it's, it's not, it's just painted on the wall in, in the studio. But I think that's brilliant. And, and I wouldn't change that, even though you could change it and make it look like they were really there. I wouldn't do it. No, one that occurred to me that I think a lot of fans perhaps would nominate was The Invisible Enemy. Yes. And although none of the effects inside the Doctor's brain really work, I mean, they, they don't work, they still to me sell this idea of the great journey that he's on and what he's doing and and i think if you did try to make it realistic it it just wouldn't be quite as exciting or fun and it certainly captured my imagination when i saw it as a boy Mm -hmm. uh even even the the giant prawn i mean you know you say okay let's redo that well what, what what else would you do yeah uh you know what 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 does a giant virus look like yeah uh, so I, I I was very relaxed about that one. I I consider that, and I didn't have it on my off on my list. I, I I'm happy with it as it is. Yeah, I'll chuck out another couple from the Hartnell era. Uh, the first being Dalek Invasion of Earth. This to me just feels right. I think the location filming is great, and when say the the Dalek saucer comes in, yeah, you could redo the Dalek saucer. In, th- in fact, I think they might have even redid the Dalek saucer on the DVD. They did. They did. Um, yeah, but I don't think that needs redoing. I think it just feels right. It's a it's a great sixty story. Leave it as it is. I'll be never watching it with the uh, the uh, redone saucer. And the second one is the Celestial Toymaker, because. You could make that world of the Celestial Toymaker feel really bizarre and oh, weird and, you know, do all sorts of things. But to me, it's got that studio-bound weird Avengers vibe to it. Mm. I know it's not like an episode of the Avengers, but do you know what I mean by I, Avengers I do, I do. vibe? And, and it actually does at times feel like an episode of the Avengers. I think, I think you can say that. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, in some ways, perhaps so. Uh, and so I wouldn't change it for the world, even though you could redo it in a different way. It's really interesting that you say that because I did actually come very, very close to putting the Celestial Toymaker on my list. Yeah. I do think that if the special effects were better, this would have a bit more love from fans. But then I thought, no, I, I actually don't need that, and I don't want that, and I'm, I'm not putting it on my list. Mm, okay. Do you have any more? Uh, the other one I was going to mention is Dragonfire. Okay. Where, again, the sets do look like plastic. The dragon costume, 
it's not bad for what they were doing in 1987, but it could look a lot better. But I think there's a there's a lovely charm to it all. I think it works, and uh, I'm I'm kind of relaxed with it. If you said to me they're going to remake Dragonfire with a CGI dragon and fix up a bit of the sets and make it a bit more ice-like, a bit more realistic, look, I'd be very interested in that and I'd probably enjoy it and I think it would be kind of cool, but I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Okay. To round out, I've got a couple from the modern era. Obviously, I didn't pick any I'd like to change from the modern era, but here's a couple that I was thinking about, but no, I wouldn't change. One is the Lazarus experiment. Oh, okay. Now, when you look at that big monster that Mark Gatiss turns into... Yes. It, it could be done so much better today, even on a Doctor Who budget. It could look ten times better. Yes. But I think back to when I first saw that episode and I thought, oh, my God, this looks so sickening and, and creepy. And, and it was actually quite scary when it was chasing the Doctor around and, and into that church and, and stuff. And I had such a feel about it. I was like... No, I wouldn't actually change that. I think it's okay. I think that can stay as it is. I, I don't think it would really add to the story. I feel I feel creeped out and weirded out and scared by that when it's chasing the Doctor and Martha as it is. Yeah, of all my problems with the Lazarus experiment, that special effect was way down the list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you had some other issues. Okay. I, yeah, I, I just think it fundamentally doesn't work as a story and the performances are all over the place and... By by the time you get to the sort of the giant comedy scorpion, I was I was already out of the story. I'm afraid. Fair enough. The second one I was thinking about was the Curse of the Black Spot. Oh, interesting. I thought for a modern story, this just feels so cheap and nasty, especially where they're on that ship, and there's just like strips of plastic hanging from the ceiling. It's like something. I hate to say this, it's like something out of the Davo era. Mm. And yet it's modern Doctor Who with Matt Smith and there's there's plastic strips hanging from the ceiling. Like, what the hell? You know, that, that whole set could have looked a, a lot better. The effect of the, the siren on the ship was quite good. The effect they put on that uh, actress to make her look all spooky and, and ghost-like, that was, that was quite good. But even the ship that they're on, I'd, I'd like to feel that that's at sea and there's movement and maybe weather conditions. And, you know, I'd, I'd, just like, I'd just like it to feel a bit more real. Curse of the Black Spot just feels really budget and really, oh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'd, uh, but would I change it? No. <laughs> you know, it, it does have this sort of charm. It, it does have these issues, but it does have this, this charm. And I'd, I'd leave it, but it's borderline for me. It's probably the closest I got to putting New Who in the list. If I ask myself the question, do the effects tell me the story the script writer wants to tell? I have to say, yes, they do. Could they be better? Certainly for the standard of what's around them. Absolutely. I've said before on the podcast, I'll say it again, when the tell-all book about the Moffat era is written, I'm going to be fascinated to know what happened with some of these budget fights. And, and where clearly things have got a lot tighter than Moffat expected them to be. There, there was clearly stuff going on with the budget behind the scenes that we still don't know about. And I mm. think The Curse of the Black Spot is right in the middle of that. But mm. does it do a good enough job at telling me the story? Yes, it does. Yeah, look, and, and I think so too. On balance, it does. Yeah. You know, the... Just. The line for okay. Me. I can get that. Mm. Anyway, that's our discussion. You, you came up with this topic, Dave. Do you think we've done it justice? I think we've explored it in ways that I perhaps hadn't expected and we've come up with some stories that I certainly didn't expect. So, uh, yes, I I think you can talk about how to improve a story without kicking the story and actually what I think we've done in some cases is whilst highlighting a bad special effect, actually highlighting 
good script and story and performances around that that perhaps mm. deserved more attention. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested to know what our listeners think too, whether our list is in some way indicative of the stories people would change or whether our listeners would change completely different ones for completely different reasons. Mm, please do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Mm. Speaking of hearing from them, we've had two emails, Rob. <laughs> we have. Nice segue, Dave. <laughs> I'll read this first one from uh, David Young. He says, Dear Robin Dave, firstly, want to say what a great podcast you run, and I look forward to it each month. Well, thank you, David. Uh, I have to say that it is really informative and sometimes has changed my view on certain stories that I had almost written off. I was born a year before Doctor Who began and have been a fan since being a small child. Wow. In fact, I have worked out recently that the first time I remember watching the show was October 1st, 1966. It was during The Smugglers, and what I vividly remembered was the death of Cherub, which gave me nightmares. I only realised it was this moment, and it was from Who, years later through seeing the telly snaps. My main reason for emailing, however, was to pass on some news about the Blu-ray box sets. I was at a convention recently in Bedford, England, where Sylvester and Sophie were two of the guests. Here, they let slip that already to be released is season 26. So, Rob, you were right. (laughs) (laughs) Victory, Dave. (laughs) I know it wasn't a competition. (laughs) Uh, They seemed unsure whether they should have passed this information on. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Like you, Dave, I am really enjoying the box sets, although did not intend to buy them at first. Not sure. My wife is keen on me buying the stories all over again, though. I'm now regretting not getting the season 12 box before it became ridiculously expensive. Looking forward to the season 10 box enormously. Keep up the good work from David Young. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, no, thank you. Good to hear from you. And I'm glad you're enjoying the Blu-rays as much as we are. And yeah, look, I'm very happy for you to be right about season 26, Rob, because it's a cracker season. Yeah, I'm I'm very pleased about that. And I'll just say briefly, this season 12 thing, especially for the UK listeners, isn't that crazy? They must have pressed so few of that box set. I really hope they do um, another pressing of it or something. I mean, people deserve to be able to buy it. I think making it so limited is is crazy. Yeah, I, I think the demand is out there to do something, whether it's a more vanilla package or something, I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure they will. Yeah, there was a period where you could still buy it in Australia, and obviously Australia and the UK have compatible uh, systems. I think we're Region A or B or something when it comes to Blu-ray. Uh, and I was advising people, well, look, you can buy it from here, and I think some people did, but eventually it sold out here as well. Probably had more limited numbers here. Fair enough. And our second email is from another David, David Clark. There's plenty of us around. <laughs> there are, aren't there? David the second writes... Or is it the third? <laughs> no, he, he's the third for this episode. <laughs> he writes, Just caught up with the last couple of episodes of my favourite Doctor Who podcast and wanted to make a comment about some of the internet chat about a woman being the Doctor, also in reference to Captain Marvel, also now being a woman. Hmm. I will be absolutely honest. I always said if the Doctor was ever cast with a woman in the part, I would not watch it. But then I remembered how much I love Doctor Who and that since watching with my first Doctor John Perwey, I couldn't go cold turkey. Some of the hate on social media is unbelievable, with individuals saying it failed even before the first episode aired. One particular man told me I couldn't be a proper fan if I watched this sacrilege. I tried to be balanced and see his point of view, but then I realised he was just a knob. So I gave Jodie a chance, and even though I don't think she has found her full Doctor character yet, I still see potential, and on the whole, enjoyed the series. 
Also, a quick comment about Big Finish. It's only in the last few years I've started listening to them because being a postman, they are perfect to digest and walk at the same time. My favourite so far is Jago and Lightfoot. Christopher Benjamin and Trevor Baxter just slip into the characters first portrayed in the talents of Wen Chiang like they have never been away. Anyway, guys, love your podcast, which also led to me listening to a certain Goodies podcast and Blake Seven podcast. I'm now off to reverse the polarity. Cheers, Dave. That's a lovely email. No, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah look, it's it's uh, it's good. Sometimes you can try and understand other people's opinions, and sometimes you just go, no, no. Yeah, and I mean, we've we've spoken at, at length about what we think of the Jodie Whittaker uh, season. Certainly, we didn't write it off, but we were also disappointed by many of the stories as well. And we look forward to seeing what the new series is like. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. And and frankly, any time when you're using the word sacrilege around a TV show, no. Just no. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's time to just step away and you know go for a walk, I think. Now, speaking about other podcasts, although it is part of this podcast during the course of May, we did drop a special episode role, but where friend of the podcast Richard and I had a bit of a chat about Marvel Avengers Endgame. Yeah, look, and I've not seen the film and I wasn't bothered about spoilers, so I listened to it and I thought, oh, that was quite a, a fun discussion. You know, I might even go and see it. Who knows? Yeah, and, and, and literally it was a case of Rich and I were recording an episode of Spacefall, a Blake Seven podcast, and we were just chatting afterwards about this movie and getting excited and they said, well, look, let's just turn the mic on and have this conversation on mic. Yeah. And, and we did and we've released it and thank you very much for some very positive feedback. Yeah, no, it's, it's really brilliant. Like we were saying earlier this episode, we know our listeners love Game of Thrones and Star Wars, and of course you can throw the Marvel movies in there as well, all the genre stuff, uh, and it's fun to talk about, you know, different things from time to time. It is, so if you're interested in that, go check it out on our feed. Absolutely. Now, Dave, what are we doing next month? Next month, we're going to have a topic which we have called Living in the Shadows, and we are going to talk about aspects of Doctor Who that should get lots of love and attention, but don't because they're overshadowed by the big ones. So we're talking about those directors or writers or stories or eras or actors or whatever it might be that should get some love, but they don't because they're not number one or number two on the list of greats. They're they're just sort of down the podium a little bit and they deserve to be really high. They deserve attention, but they're in the shadow of the greats. So we're not going to talk about Robert Holmes and Stephen Moffat and... Russell T. Davies or Terence Dix, we're going to talk about who are the writers that are next on the list, who are the directors that... We'll, we'll talk about it next time. Mm, mm. I've, I've already got some ideas on this, uh, particularly with actors, but I'll also think about production staff too, because I think within the same... Even the same episode when it comes to actors, there, there could be someone just acting their, their brains out, but because someone else is chewing the scenery, everyone talks about that actor. Exactly right. So we're going to have a look at that. And as always, we're interested to hear our listener suggestions. Perhaps you might like to pitch some ideas for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell us what you thought of this episode and also give us ideas for the next one. That's why we like to uh, let you know what's coming up in a month's time. So you've got time to, uh, to drop us a line. Excellent. Well, I look forward to that in a month's time, but I'm... I've now think, said everything I have to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty uh, pretty well done for the night too, Dave. I think I might go off and have a little tipple from the top shelf and uh, maybe finally watch the fourth episode of The Macro <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you go to enjoy that. I'm not sure what I'll be doing. Probably housework. But we'll talk <laughs> to you next month. So I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. Talk then. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. 
Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.